Well, it's, uh, it's great to see y'all today. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here, whether it's in person or you're watching uh, up on YouTube or whatever service provider you have. We want you all to know you're always welcome here, and we hope you enjoy everything. My name's David, and uh, I'm the pastor of the church. And you've come kind of on the back end of a series we started at the 1st of March entitled The Cross of Christ. And uh, in, in looking at the cross of Christ, one of the things that we said every week, and if you've come just about every week or watched every week, every week, you should know this by now. By next week, you should know this. It'll be a pop test. I'm going to over after next week's sermon. And it's simply this. For the follower of Jesus, everything comes back to the cross. You cannot separate the cross from Christianity. If you're a follower of Jesus, everything eventually comes back to the cross. You cannot take the cross out of our faith. Now, the first part of the series, back in March, we were looking really at the truth, the, the, the doctrine, the centrality of the cross. We saw that it was the, the cross is what made us right with God, that the cross was how we were reconciled with God, that the cross was because of the love of God, these great truths, this cross saves us. And then starting on Easter in, in, in April, we're looking at the way to apply that into our life. We saw uh, on Easter Sunday the meaning of the cross, that Jesus is Lord. We saw last week that what we proclaim or preach or share about the cross, that Jesus you know, died for our sins and God raised him back to life, that, that that's real for us. And next week we're going to look at the, uh, the church of the cross, but today comes really... The message that is probably is, is the hardest for us to hear if you're already a follower of Jesus. This can be a really tough message to hear. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this can be tough. Because a lot of times when I talk about coming to Christ, and what I say is absolutely true about this, you don't have to believe certain things to become a follower of Jesus. You don't, you don't have to change your life to become a follower of Christ. Become a follower of Christ is fairly simple. You take your life and you give it to Jesus. But once you do that, things change. And what changes then is what we come to today, and, and that's about the life of the cross. We find this today in Matthew 16. You can also find parallel passage in Mark chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 9. And here is what it says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with angels, and he will repay every man according to his deeds. And so here's the thing that I want you to see from the message today. Here's what you need to get out of this. It's really quite simple. In fact, if you want to know about the Christian life, this is really it. Uh, As a follower of Jesus, my life uh, should resemble the life of Jesus. (laughs) It's just that simple. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, then it makes sense that my life should resemble the life of Jesus. And so when you come to Matthew 16, it's really a turning point in in Christ's ministry. He's only a few months from going to the cross. And he has these 12 guys that he called disciples. Now, a lot of people were called disciples. And uh, in fact, being a disciple was the common name for someone who was a follower of Jesus at all stages back then. The word Christian wasn't used until Acts chapter 11. We see that, uh, you know, many, not many years, but several years after Christ left. They were called followers of the way. They were called disciples. I mean, they were called believers. And, and, but these were the 12. These were the, the, the core he was going to take away. Now, he had been in a series of of battles, I guess, and confrontations caused by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious leaders. And they, because they had created this system, were trying to find some way to really accuse Jesus. You see, what had happened is the religious leaders, and not recently, but many years before, had taken the beauty of what we would see in the Old Testament, of the Old Testament scriptures of faith, 
And they had twisted it, and they had contorted it, and it had become a religious system of rules and regulations that really no one could keep. And they were were constantly hammering Jesus because Jesus and his followers wouldn't keep their system. In fact, one time, the followers of Jesus, the 12, came up to Jesus after he had a confrontation with the Pharisees, and he blasted them pretty good. And, And he said, Jesus, they said, Jesus, you know, you're offending the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders. You're offending them. You think Jesus cared? I mean, Jesus wouldn't do well today, you know, offending people. I mean, on two occasions, Jesus, Jesus took a whip and went into the temple, and he took a whip, and the money changers who were corrupting the faith, he took a whip, and he beat them out of the temple. Now, I know some people say, well, he didn't actually whip them. He just kind of cracked the whip, and they, they got the idea and ran. People don't run if you just crack a whip. But when you crack it upside their backside, he beat them with that whip. He offended a few people that day. He called the Pharisees hypocrites. He said, you're just a brood of vipers. I mean, he offended people all the time. Didn't really bother him much, especially the Pharisees. He didn't care that much about it. But they were out to get him, so he took his guys and said, we're going to get away. And they went to this area called Caesarea Philippi. It's about 30 miles uh, north, northeast of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful area. And it's, it's this hill country kind of area. There's Mount Hermon right there, kind of close to it. And there's this valley. And in this area, Caesarea Philippi, just months before the cross, there was this place that converged all these different religious traditions. I mean, on this cliff, this rock cliff, there was this city called Caesarea Philippi. It hadn't been around very long. Herod Philip had built it. That's where the Philippi comes in. And he had built it to honor Caesar Augustus. That's where the Caesar comes in, Caesarea Philippi. And it wasn't so much that, that they worshipped Augustus, because it wasn't quite in style yet, but they were close. But they venerated him so much that it became eventually a place of worship. In the rocky hill area that this city was on, that was a you know, monument to Roman glory, were caves where, in Greek mythology, they believe that the god Pan had been born. And so this place was sacred in Greek mythology. All around the area, there were rocks, and there, there were reminders. There were little things that looked like little altars. These were the places that they used to worship the Baals. Baalism had been prominent here. And this was the northernmost boundary of the original nation of Israel, back with Joshua. This was, this was the northernmost boundary. This was a convergence of four religions. And Jesus brought his guys here. And looking all around with these 12 guys, he just said, let me ask you this. Looking at all this stuff around here, all this religious stuff, let me ask you this. Who do people say that I am? I said, well, you know, some say you remind them of John the Baptist. Some say you're like Elijah or maybe Jeremiah, one of those prophets. He said, okay, but what about you guys? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, just being Peter, he just nailed it. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is one of the great statements in all of Scripture, in all the Gospels. I mean, earlier when many of the people who followed Jesus abandoned him because what he was saying was hard, he said, you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, no, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, Peter was getting it. He was figuring this out. Now, did he understand it fully and completely what that meant? No. None of them would till after the resurrection. Remember on Easter Sunday when I, I preached, uh, there was Thomas, and Thomas said, you're my Lord and my God. That, that's when they started getting it. But they had an idea. They had an inkling. They had an understanding. There's something about you, Jesus. And so Jesus said to Simon, he was, he was called Simon at that point. He said, you know, flesh and blood didn't show you this. God revealed it to you. And so now on, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you the little rock. All around there are these, these stones, these rocks. I'm going to call you the rock. But long before Dwayne Johnson, Peter was the rock. <laughs> it was the rock. 
And Jesus said, upon, though, this rock, I will build my church. And the concept of church is, is just now mentioned for the first time. that he wasn't looking at Peter or those stones. He was looking at that cliff where Caesarea Philippi was. He said, upon that rock, though, guys, I'm going to build my church. Now, I know some of our friends, and some of you may come from a Roman Catholic background, and you've been taught, well, they built the church upon Peter. He's the first pope. But that's not true. That's, that's, not, what, that's not where it was built. And then, and as Baptists, we like to say, well, of course not. It was built on the faith that Peter had. Church was not built on faith. If you were taught that, you were taught, I hate to say this because I was taught this sometimes incorrectly. The church is built on Jesus. It's kind of obvious if you read the New Testament. He's like the cornerstone, kind of like the foundation. And he wasn't looking at those, those little rocks like Peter. He was looking at that cliff. That's Jesus. And he said, the gates of Hades, the gates and power of death will never prevail against that. And guys, you're going to have the power, you're going to have the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you loosen on earth shall have already been loosened in heaven. Whatever you bound on earth shall have already been bound in heaven. You go get it. And then we're told that after he said all these things to him, and and he was with these guys, and Mark tells us more people are starting to show up. And Matthew kind of condenses it, and they're still in this area. We come to verse 21. And verse 21 tells us this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain. From that time on, Jesus began to teach something very consistent, very simple. He explained to his disciples, that key word is key, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Notice, at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the, the, the guys who held the keys to the Jewish religious system. He was going to suffer, keep that word suffer in mind, and that he would be killed. But on the third day, he'd be raised back to life. So he kept teaching them. And Peter, we're told, kind of got Jesus and said, Lord forbid, don't, don't talk like that. To which Jesus replied to say, Peter, you need to get behind me, Satan. Now, if you think the church was built on Peter, then you need to understand it was built on Satan. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But that's the context. Everybody's going, oh, yeah. You boy, you're not going to go, ooh, now. You're going to go, ooh, later. I'll tell you that. Well, I mean, and Jesus looks at these guys, and he just realizes they're not getting it. Your guys just aren't getting it. And so he says, come here. And he says some of the hardest words as a follower of Christ to hear. He tells me what Christianity is. Listen, you want to know what Christianity is? This is it. This, this is it. This is it. Matthew says, he took to those disciples and says, if you want to come after me, NIV says, you want to be my disciple. It's the same thing. You want to be my disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And those are words that I've heard preached and taught many times. Most of the time when I hear it, the guy who teaches or preaches it waters it down, and I get it. And we don't sometimes truly get the absolute foundational truth of what Jesus is saying. The key to understanding that is to understand the word disciple. See, we use the word disciple a lot. We use it in a very generic sense. In fact, we'll talk about discipling someone. Next week, I close this series out by talking about the church of of Christ, and I'm going to use the passage in Matthew, go make disciples. And from this message, you're going to have a better understanding of what that is. But usually we use the word disciple, and we kind of mean, you know, someone who kind of is a learner. You know, you learn about something, and, and we use the word discipleship. And this is normally what we mean in, in church in the word discipleship. It's, it's kind of just a very general thing. We're going to teach you how to pray. We're going to teach you how to read the Bible. We're going to teach you how to take notes so you can keep a journal. 
And we're going to teach you a few basic truths, and you've been disciple. That really isn't what it means. The word disciple comes from a word family that means to learn to the point of bending that way. It's the idea of being bent towards something. It's more than just learning. It's learning something, and that's not just retaining it, but it bends you towards the teacher. When I was in college at Trinity, I had to take some appreciation classes of something, you know, beyond what I normally do. And so it's either art or music or poetry or something like that. So I took art appreciation. It's a pretty cool class. I liked it. I still have my art book. I love that art book. It bugs me because my wife uses this as a prop to put her laptop on when she's typing. But it's, it's a great book. And I learned about art. I mean, I'm not an expert in anything, but I, I, I understand words like Baroque, co you know, Baroque and all that. I, I don't know what they mean. I understand that stuff, man. And I like pictures. I'm, paintings are nice. I go to the museum, and that's nice. I know, I know about, a little bit about Impressionism. I know like, Mona Lisa lost her smile and all that. That's actually a David Allen Coe song, so that wouldn't count towards art. <laughs> but I never became an art major. I didn't say, hey, I want to become a curator in an art museum. I was never bent towards art. I was never a disciple. To be a disciple is to be bent towards something. And in bending that way, you become the advocate to help other people be bent that way. So Peter, who was this disciple, was bent that way. So we saw last week, he gets up at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. He preaches this message, and people converted. And later on, Peter, who was this Jew, did what no Jew ever does. He went to the house of a Gentile. And he preached and taught the Gentile, and the Holy Spirit came, and they became saved. You see, he was bent that way. He saw Jesus sit down with a Samaritan woman, which no one ever did, and talk to her. He saw Jesus touch lepers, which no one ever did. He saw Jesus do what was never done in the Jewish system, and he became bent that way. Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, when he was saved, so radically it altered his life that he gave his life to going to the Gentiles to preach to them the gospel. See, a disciple influences people. They make a difference. Learners don't do that. Disciples do. Jesus said, to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In the Greek, those are three commands and imperatives. Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. And however he spoke in Aramaic, Matthew and Mark and Luke took that and said, here's how we're going to explain that to you in the Greek language. He commands us to deny. To deny means to reject. Don't have to raise your hand, but any of you ever been rejected by something? Maybe you told someone you loved them and they didn't love you and you felt rejected. Maybe you tried to get into that really nice college and, and that college denied you acceptance and you felt pretty, ugh, you know, somebody did that. It never happened to me, but I'm just saying that could happen to some of you. I can see that happening to a lot of you, in fact. And uh, maybe you applied for a loan and, and you got rejected, you got denied. In, in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, have this mindset in you that is in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider his equality with God something to cling to, but emptied himself. He denied. He rejected that to take on the nature of humanity. Jesus didn't cease to be God. Now, I hear people say, well, he was limited. He was never limited as God. Jesus was never limited. What Jesus did is he refused. He denied. He rejected his rights to exercise deity. To deny yourself is to say, I'm going to refuse myself. I'm not the most important person anymore. I'm, it's not me. That's so foreign to our culture. 
This is foreign to America. I mean, it's foreign to the church. We, we live our lives for us, don't we? I mean, that's really what it is. We want that raise, and we deserve that promotion, and we're always looking how we can get ahead here and there. People come to church, and they think they should be on that committee, and they think they should be up here singing, you know, because someone told them one time they were good, and they were lying to you, man. I mean, just tell you, we get these ideas all the time. And we want to put ourselves out there because we, we, we deserve, it's us. Instead of just, how can I serve? What is the lowest thing that I can do? What is the humblest thing that I can do? We want to do the things that everybody sees us for. You know, man, I hear this all the time. What about my, I want my rights. I got these rights. We're always talking about our rights for this and our rights for that. Jesus never talked about your rights. I'm going to tell you something. He didn't care if he offended you, and he didn't care about your rights. Two things Jesus doesn't care about in America. He don't care about your constitutional rights, and he don't care if you get offended. So that, that's just for you, whether you're Republican, Democrat, he don't care none of that. I know that because I've read the Gospels a lot. He don't care. He wants you to, to deny yourself. Deny, deny, deny. Then he said you take up your cross. That's a tough one. Because, you know, if you grow up in church at all, you're told that the cross was the place of death. When you took up your cross, you went to die. Well, how in the world in 21st century America, and when I grew up as a young Christian in 20th century America, did we go die for our faith? We don't do that. So here's what they used to teach us. Well, you're not going to die for your faith because you're an American, but you need to be willing to die. Are all of you willing to die for your faith? Oh, preacher. Oh, yeah. I'm willing to do something that's never going to be asking me. You bet. I'm always willing to do something I'm never going to have to do if it makes me look good. Now, you see the word die, the word cross meant to suffer. Remember when I said Jesus said to them, or Matthew said Jesus told them he had to go suffer? See, cross just went death. Cross was suffering. To suffer. He said, hey guys, come here. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, all you guys come here. You're going to be my disciple. The path you travel is one of suffering. Suffering. James, my cousin James, brother. You're the first. You're going to die a few months from now at the hands of Herod Agrippa. You're going to die. You'll never experience all the glory they're going to see, even in their brief life, what happens. You'll die before that. But that's okay. You'll be with him, but you're going to die. Peter, Andrew, brothers, y'all are going to be crucified. Not together. In separate places, you're both going to be crucified. Hey, hey, Nathaniel, guess what? You're going to go to India. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to have some success, and then they're going to skin you alive. Skin you alive. Thaddeus, you're going to Persia, and they're going to take you there in Persia and shoot arrows into you, and they're going to cut you, and you're going to die the death of a thousand cuts. Guys, you're going to suffer. If you're going to be in my kingdom, but, don't, but you should expect it. Why? Well, he told us in, in John 14, 15, and 16 hours before the cross, he said, the world hates you because it hated me first. See, the world always hates Christ because the world's full of systems. There's full of religious systems. All around Jesus was religious systems. There was a Jewish religious system. There was a Roman religious system. Christianity is not a system. It's about a person, Jesus, that we commit ourselves to. And if I commit myself to Jesus, I can't commit myself to Rome. And if I commit myself to Jesus, I can't commit myself to the Jewish system. And when you commit yourself to Jesus, you're not committed to America. You're not committed to this ideology. You're not committed to anyone or anything but Jesus. And the world is in opposition to Jesus. And if it hates Jesus, it's going to hate you. In the world today, 340 million Christians live with persecution. If you took all those Christians and put them in one country, 
That would make them the third largest country in the world ahead of America with 330 million. The world hates us. So take up your cross, he said, and follow me. To follow is to come alongside, to come together and be one of his guys. Christians follow Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. That's what he kept calling them to do. Follow me, follow me, follow me. They follow. And that doesn't mean they walked in a straight line like here was Jesus, and there was Peter, and Andrew, James, and John. Got 12? Got 12 back there? James, Celeste, you're back there? Okay, we got 12. I mean, they just walked together. Remember, they traveled from Jerusalem, let's say, to Galilee. And it was just not those 12, but all the people that considered themselves followers. They would travel together. Jesus probably, he'd probably come over here and talk a little bit, put his arm around Thaddeus, saying, man, it's going to be tough, brother. I love you. You're going to do fine. Don't worry about it. Probably go talk to the other guys. Probably go talk to some of the women followers. Probably go down to the back, talk to some of the stragglers, encourage them, keep up. You know, when you follow Jesus, you belong to him. You're one of his guys and gals. He's with you during the suffering. He's there. And when he left, he said, don't worry. I'm not deserting you. The Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to be with you. And you got the Holy Spirit. And these people live this life because he called them to that. It was not a life of glory on earth. In fact, it was the opposite. But they knew something. They knew there was more to life than right now. You see, right now on earth is but a blink. It's but a microsecond for all eternity. They got that. What happens in this blink of an eye? It's what determines the rest of eternity. And they said, I'd rather suffer with Jesus now in this microsecond and live forever with him than to escape suffering now to live in rebellion against God for all eternity. And just to drive the point home, he said this. Looked at those guys and said, if you try to save your life now, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life in me, in my name, You'll save it. You'll find it. Guys, if you want to cling to what you have in this brief second in this world, if you want to cling to that, you go ahead. But in the end, you lose your life. But if you'll let go of that and give your life to me, oh, you will save it. What does it profit a man, he says, if you can gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? Oh, in America, we can gain the world, man. We can get rich. We can become popular. You can get on TikTok and have your 15 seconds of TikTok whatever fame. I can't find TikTok, thank goodness. Or you can get on Instagram and you can be an influencer and you can help people find out what lousy shade of lipstick they can put on their lips so they can do selfies with the duck post and like that. You know? <laughs> like that's attractive. <sighs> Fine if you're a duck. <laughs> Not many ducks have Instagram, so I don't know what you're going to do get all of that. Oh, it's so easy. What are you going to sacrifice for eternity? He said, the son of man is going to come in his glory of the father with all the angels. And then I'm going to repay everyone according to their deeds. And what he means by that is not that you're saved by your words. No, no, no. He says, I'm going to know who's mine. I'm going to look at your life. I already know if you're mine. And I already know if you keep in your life to me, but your life's going to give evidence. And if you've denied taking up your cross and followed, no matter how much you suffered, you will have an eternity with me. But if you have rejected me, then I'll reject you. So I began this message asking or making this statement. As a follower of Jesus, my life should resemble the life of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, my life should resemble the life of Jesus. It should. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you do miracles. 
doesn't mean you're sinless. You're not going to be sinless. Don't, no, I mean, you're just not. I mean, you should try. I was going to say, don't even try it. <laughs> you should try it. The pastor's saying, don't try to be sinless. I don't, that's not good. That would, I'd flunk out of theology class for that. But you're not going to, you're not going to, you don't have to be poor. You don't have to live in poverty. I didn't say. You need to be bent, bent to Jesus. In your life, evidence of denying, taking up, and following should exist. It should. Does it? I mean, think about our culture today. Think about Christianity and the world we live in. I mean, right now, there's this growing movement. It's just scary. It's called, you know, in, in theology, it, it, it's the health, wealth kind of mentality, you know? It, it, it's that mentality that you, you, can, you can be wealthy and you can be healthy. And, 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 you know, that gospel message goes out. And there's churches all around us in El Paso and in, in Las Cruces that are preaching. Hey, listen, and it's based on the Old Testament series of, of prosperity. It's called the prosperity gospel of, of blessings and all that. And they're saying, listen, here's this formula. Here's this system. You follow the system as, as, a, as a so-called Christian. And you don't have to worry about being wealthy. You'll be prosperous. And you don't have to worry about your health. Your health will be good if you follow the system, which usually involves sending them a lot more money. But you follow the system. Can, can, can you imagine Nathan, who's going to be skinned alive, saying, uh, time out. I don't think that's what the gospel's all about. I don't think it's about prosperity. In fact, I know it's not. It's about being bent towards Jesus. And, and in some churches, denominations, denominations that have been around for centuries, and churches that have been around forever, it seems. Now, they're looking at the world around them, and they're seeing the culture that we live in. And I've talked about, you know, we have to engage the culture. We never embrace it, but they're embracing the culture. And they're saying, oh, we don't want to offend people. And, and there's so many of them. And our church is kind of small to begin with. Let's embrace them. And let's, let's just say, hey, we're all the same, and we're all going to the same place. And whatever you do, and however you live, and whatever you believe, it's okay. And there are actually churches that, that are inviting, you know, imams, you know, from the Muslim faith, and, and teachers from Hinduism and Buddhism to, to their churches to stand up here, like here, and to go to your people, and to preach. And they're not preaching the gospel. They're preaching garbage. They're preaching excrement. They're preaching filth. They're preaching sewage. They're preaching a way that's going to destroy their life. They're not bent towards Jesus. They're bent the other direction. And then they're in evangelical churches. Oh, my goodness. All these celebrity pastors that want to get on the news shows and be interviewed and all that stuff. I promise you, I will never be a celebrity. I mean, that's not going to happen anyways. I, 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 that, that's one of those things, like, I promise you, I'm not going to do something I wouldn't do anyway. Well, listen, I, I don't get that. And in churches today, my goodness, how many Christians are more concerned about having people be converted to their political ideology than converted to Christ? It's an embarrassment. We have forgotten what it means to be a disciple. We are not bent towards the world. We are bent towards Jesus. And he said, Guys, come here. Listen to me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And I'll be with you every step of the way. Listen to me very carefully. If there is no likeness between your life and the life of Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus. You're deceiving yourself. And you're in trouble. I mean, seriously. There's no checklist. And we do that. 
It's not a checklist that you need to follow. I believe in Jesus, check. I believe the Bible's the word of God, check. I believe in creation, check. I go to church twice a month, check. I give some money, check, check, check. Write your check. I teach, check. I'm good. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way, and too many people think that's how it works. You can deceive yourself thinking everything is right in your life when it's not. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The will of the Father is you follow. Jesus. And so here it is. The life of the cross is not an easy life. And it is not a life of prosperity. And it is not a life of compromise. It is a life bent to Jesus. To deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. Is that you? Does that describe you? If it doesn't describe you, then you need to give your life to Christ. It's not complicated. There's not a bunch of things you have to do. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to believe a bunch of things. But you've got to give your life to Christ. But give your life to Christ knowing the cost. The cost is all of you. The cost is all of you, your entire life. You give your life to Jesus in this, but microsecond of life, you are his for all eternity. Some of you need to give your life to Christ today. In a moment, I'll be here. A few others will be here. Ladies, if you want another woman to talk to, there'll be a woman here. And you may come to say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to be the disciple bent to him. Some of you are Christians. You know you're Christians, but... Right now, it doesn't really look much like it. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is. So maybe now you need to renew that relationship with Christ. And you say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. I am your disciple. I've just not been looking like it. Bend me back to you. Bend me back to you. If you have a prayer request or concern, we'll pray for you. You want to join our church, you can join our church. I don't know what you need to do today, but here's what I know. When you walk out of this place today, be sure you walk out Bent towards Christ. Be sure you walk out with the life of the cross. Lord, we praise you and honor you and glorify you for what you did for us. You gave your life to us, for us, on our behalf. You gave all of it. You held nothing back. You denied yourself. You literally took up your cross and suffered. All so we could be followers of you. Now, God, let us give ourselves to you completely. To be bent, Father, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be bent to you, to deny us, take up our cross, and to follow, follow, follow. For Christ, that is all we can offer you is our life. So let us give our life to you and trust you and honor you and glorify you today. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? You come to the front. We'll be here. Would you come? Mm -hmm.